the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. Eight of the top ten Irish companies choose to do business with us. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Good day. Welcome to the Irish Times business podcast. My name is Arthur Beasley. Joining us today is Barry O'Halloran, business correspondent with the Irish Times, Fia Kelly, political correspondent, and also David Holohan of Marion Capital, who is an aviation analyst. It's a huge week in Irish aviation. The government has decided to sell off its 25% shareholding in Aer Lingus to International Airline Group, the owner of British Airways. And in addition to that, we've had a bumper set of annual results from Ryanair, whose net profit in the last financial year uh, reached €867 million. But first to that Aer Lingus deal, which now looks increasingly likely. Barry O'Halloran, what exactly has happened? OK, well, the, in principle, the government has said, yes, we are prepared to sell the, the state's 25.1% stake. We've gotten the guarantees that we were seeking on the use of the Heathrow slots. A, that Aer Lingus will keep them and will maintain control and they cannot be sold without the government's permission. And B, that they will be used to, con- to service flights from all three of the state-owned airports um, to Heathrow for the next seven years. That's th- th- those were the kind of fundamental sticking points. There's a there's a lot of frill- there's some frills around that, but they were the fundamental sticking points. So the government is on board. The government is happy. It's gotten over that big political hump, and um, IAG appears to have bent over. Well, not quite backwards, but but been pretty flexible in in the in the way that it's dealt with the government and the way that it's handled its concerns. This proposed transaction has been in gestation now for many, many months. I think it's about six months at this point since Willie Walsh of of IAG first made his approach. You reckon the government has got a good deal here? Um, I would say they've probably gotten the best deal possible in the circumstances. Um, When when this was first being kind of publicly publicly aired in in February, Willie Walsh appeared before an Oireachtas committee and said, well, I'll guarantee the services for five years, but no more. And he was asked, you know, is that an opening position that, you know, there might be flexibility? And he said, oh, no, he said, with me, my opening position is often my my best bet. You could come back to me again and you might find that I offer you something far, far worse. So in the sense that they've gotten him to go to seven years, albeit with... uh, with the condition that airport charges and, and other services remain acceptable to IAG, that I suppose represents a step forward. You've also got to remember that when the government made its statement uh, at the end of February, February the twenty fourth, Pascal Donoghue was very, very clear that five years, the five years on the table, was not enough. And while he didn't say explicitly we would like ten years, that was sort of a figure that was hinted at. But the the, the general feeling then kind of became that seven years would be acceptable all round, and that is the, the, the number that the government has come out with. Very good. But this is a deal which isn't essentially in the bag yet because there's still a rather large question mark around the shareholding of Ryanair, which is just below 30%. And the position is that IAG won't be buying Aer Lingus unless it gets Ryanair's agreement as well. David Holohan, will Michael O'Leary of Ryanair do the deal with Willie Walsh or will he not? I think he will. And actually, I think he will likely surprise at how quickly Ryanair endorsed the deal. I think they will look at it from a per- perfectly rational uh, approach and I would imagine that the board will be fully supportive of it. 
When you say pretty quickly, do you, th- do you think this could happen within a couple of weeks? I think when you look at the offer, it hasn't actually changed uh, at all from what was originally proposed. So it's still €2.50 um, of cash, and that is what it was several months ago. So for right now, they've had plenty of time to mull it over. They've had several court uh, cases go against them in the intervening period. So Ryanair have been left with the case that if they don't sell the stake to IAG, they are going to have to sell it down on a piecemeal uh, basis uh, as a result of the competition authority in the UK. Now, Michael O'Leary is nothing if he's not a businessman who drives a hard bargain. Would there not be some kind of an expectation that O'Leary would say to Willie Walsh, yes, Willie, uh, I'm willing to sell, but I'm not willing to sell at this price? I think it's it would be un- unlikely that Ryanair would try and get a better price. I think it rep- the current offer represents pretty fair price for Erlingus. I think Ryanair would be very much aware that uh, the, the share price of Erlingus uh, is significantly higher than where it was prior to this offer. And if Ryanair were to in any way stymie the offer and IAG were to back out, Erlingus' share price would move significantly lower, which would damage the value for Ryanair when they ultimately have to sell. Very interesting. Fia Kelly, what are the politics of all of this, there was some doubt as to whether the government would actually do the deed. The deed is now done. The government will win the vote in the Dáil, but where is it going politically? It seems to be going through quite smoothly politically. I think because of the dynamics of the coalition that the Labour Party had this instant reaction when the offer was put down, first of all, that it must protect the state's stake in the airline that they felt they immediately said, we're not too sure about this. There was initial reticence to take it on because they felt it was inviting on too much trouble in a general election year. But as time passed, there wasn't a great public outcry in constituencies in North Dublin in particular where the Labour Party would have seats. So they felt they could do the deal. They felt that, what, what, as Barry said, what was on offer wasn't quite enough. So from the Fine Gael perspective, you had connectivity around Shannon. From the Labour perspective, you had jobs in Dublin. So we've kind of looked, it's kind of gone both ways. They've got, they seem to be pretty happy with what they've got with the seven years with this idea of a golden share. There is, there was some concern around the Labour Party about the uh, terms and conditions of the employees in Aer Lingus, but there is broad satisfaction about that now. There was a motion put down at the Labour Party conference which outlined various matters around connectivity, jobs, etc. And that was, ex- that was essentially the coalition saying, IAG, you need to get over these hurdles and give us something to play with here. Now, those Labour TDs who signed that uh, motion are all broadly happy with the deal. There will be a vote in the Dáil tomorrow, and it seems it will go through without any the loss of any coalition TDs. Very interesting. Now, there was a, a statement, of course, last night from a group of Labour TDs who had uh, some reservations about the notion of this shareholding in Aer Lingus being sold. They now are on board. What's the significance of that? The significance of it is that they haven't detected any real groundswell of opposition within their constituencies. One of them said to me when this deal first became apparent that he was waiting by the phone for local members of SIP2 and Impact to ring him and give out. He didn't get that. So if there was a difficulty amongst workers, it would be reflected in the Labour Party position, in particular of the position of these Labour Party TDs. The significance of that is it seems to be that the workers may be on board at some levels so the Labour Party feels it can go with it. There's also a sweetener in there in the deal from a government perspective that there was a suggestion that any funds would be used to pay down the debt. That's not going to happen now. The money from Aer Lingus will go into an investment fund called a connectivity fund, which will be used to fund stuff like broadband, 
ports, roads, anything you want yourself. Whatever, just, whatever you're having. Whatever basically. you're ha- quite handy in the run for a general election, I would say, but that's a little sweetener that's persuaded the Labour Party in particular. Now, that's a connectivity fund that would not be known as a slush fund, surely? No, the Minister for Transport was quite specific that this was not a slush fund last night, but it'll be under the auspices of the Strategic Investment Fund, so it'll be a public-private element to it, but it's a, it's a bonus nonetheless for the TDs who may be wavering over it. Barry O'Halloran, Fiac uh, maintains that uh, there's no groundswell of opposition in those uh, important constituencies in North Dublin in particular. But nevertheless, it is the case that the trade unions are not fully on board on this yet. No, they, they're not. And SIP2 and, and Impact particularly are saying, and they're, they're the kind of they're the largest constituents in there as well, that they're, they're, they're dissatisfied on a number of fronts. They want guarantees that there will be no compulsory redundancies. And they're not getting that. And their argument is, look, you're making an awful lot of promises on jobs. Um, It should surely be within your compass then to say that there will be no uh, compulsory redundancies uh, on foot of this or anything else in Aer Lingus. The other thing is that they want these registered employment agreements reinstated. Now, that's going to take some time as that requires legislation first, as we all know, and that's that's some weeks or months down the road. On the compulsory redundancy side, what, what I would say is that Aer Lingus already has this this thing it calls a core program, which was put in place by Christoph Muller, the, the, the last chief executive. And that is a compulsory redundancy program, essentially. And that is underway. It, they, they put it to one side while they were dealing with the pension thing. They've, they brought it back earlier this year. That is underway. And you are actually likely to see possibly the airline making a move towards laying some people off voluntarily or, 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 or workers taking voluntary redundancy uh, in the autumn. So I think that it's never in its history as Aer Lingus had compulsory redundancies. I don't think you're going to see that happen now. But at the same time, I think from the point of view of kind of ensuring that you keep the unions on board through the next couple of weeks, couple of months, which are going to be very critical, I think maybe you could make some kind of promise in that direction, and I think it would be politic of both the IAG and, more particularly, Aer Lingus, whose management will have to deal with this, uh, to, to come out and say, well, OK, we'll, we'll go as far down that road as we possibly can. To your mind, is that a roadblock at this point? I don't think it's a roadblock at this point. I think it's a potential bump. Um, the unions in Aer Lingus have demonstrated in recent years that they've never been... Uh, afraid to flex their muscles, and you know that's what unions do. That's that's their bar- that's their ultimate bargaining power. And I think there's there's always there's always a slight risk of something like that happening. Um, and if you don't want it to happen, and if there's no need for it to happen, and you're keen to do this deal, it kind of makes sense, I think, to to meet them a little bit more than halfway. David Holland, do you think that uh, Willie Walsh would be minded to listen to such concerns? I think so. I think he's very much aware of uh, the concerns of the trade unions. They're really the main um, naysayers for the deal uh, still. But I think ultimately for him, he has made a clear distinction um, any time what happened with Iberia has been linked to what could happen with Aer Lingus. That Iberia was a company that was losing a lot of money, um, chronically uh, seeing uh, money move out the door and was loss-making. Aer Lingus is now nicely profitable. And uh, I think the focus on job cuts will likely be on back-office admin accountancy roles in the first year. Uh, there won't be any uh, front-office staff, whether it be cabin crew or pilots, that will be let go. If anything, those numbers will increase as they increase the number of aircraft flying out of Irish airports. Is there any concern at the level of the market in respect of the position of the trade unions at this point? No, I don't think so. I think the market is taking the view that this deal will go through. Uh, while the unions at Aer Lingus have 
voted for industrial action in, in prior years. I think there is an acceptance out there that the deal will likely close uh, over the coming months and the trade unions, while they will likely uh, jawbone about some of their, their demands not being met, it's unlikely they would try and wage an all-out war with their new owners effectively. Fia Kelly, uh, the government is very pleased with itself that this seven-year guarantee and this golden share has been secured in respect of the connectivity, that word again, between Dublin and Heathrow, that crucial nexus between the Irish and British economies. Is there any concern at all in political circles that all of that might just fade away after seven years and that there could be a very large problem at the end of that seven-year period? There is a concern, but we're not seeing it from the government benches so far. Uh, there has been concern raised among the opposition, Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin, in the last number of hours that, yes, seven years is all well and good, but what happens at the end of that? Uh, the counter-argument that the government are, are putting across is that it's better than what we have now, it is stronger than what we have now, we don't have such a guarantee now. So they're making the play that this is better than we could have hoped for, and even if we get to the end of the seven years, there's no guarantee that would remain in place for the intervening seven years anyway if we held on to the stake. Is there any traction at the level of the opposition? Fianna Fáil are opposed to this deal? Fianna Fáil are opposed to the deal, which is a slightly curious position when you consider that they were in government when... 75% of the company was sold off. That's been thrown across the, the chamber a lot in the well, last year. That's years. true, but they also did retain the they 25% did, They did retain the 25% share. There doesn't seem to be much traction. Um, the way you would look at it, if, if there were government TDs in particular in the Shannon region and the North Dublin region coming under pressure, you would see uh, pinching, pinch points there. We haven't seen that yet. There is a question mark over, over whether one Labour team in particular from Clare will vote for the deal, but in the end of the day, his name is Michael McNamara. I think he will. But he was a signatory of that he statement. He was a signatory of a statement. Actually, he wasn't. It was quite curious. He said that the signatories to the statement in February were the following, yet he went on and said, actually, I still have concerns, but I think they'll be dealt with. He wants to see the text of the deal. He wants to see the nuts and bolts of the deal, but I, I think he will come on board in the end. Barry O'Halloran, based on what we know at this point of the transaction and what's likely to happen, what will the new Aer Lingus look like within the ambit of international airlines groups? Okay, well, initially it won't look a whole lot different, but but over time you'll certainly see that it will have a far bigger transatlantic business. Um, they're talking about giving it, it will have eight more long-haul uh, craft that would be they will effectively be flying out of Dublin to destinations in North America, mainly the United States. So, in that respect, uh, its 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 long haul business will become far more prominent. They carried, I think, one point four million people on that last year. In turn, the kind of numbers that Willie Walsh is talking about, there'll be two point four million added to that by twenty twenty. So it'll be a far more long haul will be a far more significant, and one would hope a profitable element of its business um, over time. And that that will start to happen relatively quickly, actually, because they're talking about I think two new extra craft. And, and David, is it is it one or two years? It's very short. Yeah, it's very short. Two, time. two, I think. Uh, yeah. Very quickly. So you, you're you're going to see that in terms of the other the, the other element, the short haul business, with, with which Aer Lingus has done a very good job, given that it's it's dealing with a very big and very aggressive competitor in the shape of Ryanair. I think that will remain much the same. Obviously, the 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 London links will have to remain in place for seven years, so they're absolutely not going to change for the foreseeable future. Um, whether we see great, more investment in, in Aer Lingus expanding its, its links into other parts of Europe, I don't know. I think that remains to be seen. And that, from a kind of personal standpoint, would be a concern that I'd have is that there's a big focus on what's going to happen in terms of everything going westward. But it's equally important that we maintain links eastward and not just to Heathrow, but into continental Europe and possibly beyond as well. 
But if, to those who might fear that we're going to lose the sight over the Irish skies of the Shamrock and the Aer Lingus livery, the brand remains the same. The airplanes are going to look the same. Sorry, yeah, I was thinking about the practical stuff when you <laughs> sure. asked me that. But the brand will remain the same. The Shamrock will remain the same. The uniforms will remain the same. David Holohan, what's the advantage for Willie Walsh in this transaction? <coughs> I think really, if you look at the benefits to IAG, it comes down to using Dublin as a third runway from Heathrow. Um, You're not going to get another runway built. Uh, He's as much as said so on several occasions. So for them, it's it's acting as a funnel, uh, funneling passengers from across Europe uh, to Dublin, pre-clearing them in Dublin, and then putting them on a plane over to the US. And that's a key advantage. And that's a huge advantage to passengers themselves because no one likes arriving in the United States and they have to go through a whole new rigmarole of very long queues to get through passport clearance and all yeah, the rest any, of Yeah, any, any frequent travellers to the States would know that if you don't pre-clear in Dublin, if you fly out of London uh, or took one of the old flights that didn't pre-clear, you could be spending uh, two, three hours in, in a worse case at a, at a US uh, customs over there. So to avoid that saves a lot of time for travellers that are only in the States for a short period of time. Fick Kelly, in your assessment, how has this been handled by Pascal Donoghue, the Transport Minister? I think he's actually handled it quite well in that he took his time, he waited for the other side of government to come around to the Fine Gael way of thinking. There was no prodding and pushing of the Fine Gael side of, from the Fine Gael side of the government towards the Labour Party. And he seems to, it seems to me that it's been very well choreographed that, I don't know, I get a suspicion maybe the, the other guys here would be able to, to, to firm us up that the deal possibly was done weeks ago, but it has been politically choreographed to arrive at a time where it wouldn't interfere with anything else from the political agenda. Anything being such dis- as a referendum. A, a referendum, a spring statement, a deal on mortgage arrears, a deal on mortgage interest rates, for example, that it's part of a politi- very tight choreography by the government to get them to the summer and get them to the election. Very good. And would you have expected uh, anything other than an outcome such as this? Because the resistance was there initially it was and I actually I think even from Fine Gael there was there was resistance I remember in particular I think when this this first really gained traction at the start of the year the Taoiseach went on radio on a Sunday afternoon and he was asked you know what what are the barriers to this deal and he basically put very very high barriers indeed I remember listening to it going well that's it then it's not going to happen there were very very high bar- barriers with a, a very uh, kind of hard edged bottom line so to speak yes they were and he was it, it seemed to me that he was setting his face against it and suddenly that they realised that actually there isn't a great groundswell, like I said, of opposition towards this deal and that people might be happy with it. And the phrase that's been used repeatedly in the last number of days and weeks is this is good national politics. It might be difficult local politics, but this is good national politics. Fia Kelly, thank you very much. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life September 2014. I am here with Barry O'Halloran, business correspondent in the Irish Times, and David Holohan, aviation analyst with Marion Capital. This, of course, is also a significant week for Ryanair. Annual results 
unveiled by the company just a couple of days ago show that it made a net profit of 867 million euro in the last financial year and it's now targeting a net profit in the current financial year of up to 970 million now that would leave it within a hair's breadth of a billion euro in profits that's quite an extraordinary story of expansion on the part of this airline it really is. It's, it's been an, an enormous success story in recent years and they've really gone from strength to strength in the last year through uh, rolling out a, a product that targets business passengers and also then rolling back on some of the um, additional charges it makes people pay to fly with them, uh, particularly for families. So they've done a, a massive job in changing the image and it's been very successful at increasing the number of passengers flying on their planes and also then the uh, load factors at which those planes are based on. David Holden, to what extent can the improvement in profitability be traced to the new cuddly image now being put forth by Ryanair? This is no longer an airline which seeks to oppress its customers as many of its customers might have felt. No, this is the new uh, touchy-feely Ryanair and um, they're doing a very good job uh, at increasing the number of passengers flying. It's always very difficult to uh, pin down exactly why people are flying with one airline over another uh, at any point. But clearly the actions that they've taken have resulted in a lot of additional passengers. The planes are fuller. That makes a big difference for Ryanair, whose whole business model is based on the idea that the fuller the planes are, the more money they will make. So for them, it's been an outright success. Barry O'Halloran, I mean, the, the extraordinary thing here is that you have so much attention on the Aer Lingus dimension of this story. And Aer Lingus is always a captivating story in the, in the Irish setting. But really, I mean, the, the, the scale of the Ryanair enterprise as compared with Aer Lingus is uh, of a completely different order of magnitude. It is actually. Uh, one of its executives, Kenny Jacobs, yesterday pointed out that the growth that they achieved in passenger numbers last year, which was around 10 million, that is roughly the same size as Aer Lingus as an airline. It's a little bit smaller. I think Aer Lingus may have 11 million passengers. But he said that's a, that's basically a, a, an Aer Lingus every year in terms of growth. And that. So, yes, I mean, you know, Ryanair is really a behemoth and, and Aer Lingus is, is really, really quite small in relation to it, a tenth of its size or, or less. And the focus in the current financial year is on the expansion of Ryanair's business in Germany. Yeah, this is this is a funny one, and, and it's something that I, I've never been able to kind of get my head around. I, it, it never occurred to me that they were as small as they are in Germany, only four percent of the market. Underweight, the, you might say. Uh, very much underweight. Now that that there there are two kind of arguments you can make around that, and the one that Ryanair is obviously making is that well, that gives us an awful lot of headroom to grow. So Germany is very much it's a case of we're rolling up our sleeves and we're, we're going in there and we're going to sell lots of we're, we're going to sell lots of flights. Um, Their explanation yesterday for why they're so small there is that first, there is very punitive travel tax and second, they didn't have the craft. Now they've always said, well, when you say, how come you're not in that market? How come you're so small in this market or that market? They've always said, well, we don't have the planes. But now they do have the planes and they are coming right out and saying, we do have the planes. We're taking delivery of these new Boeings and we're going in there. David Holland, does the market have confidence that this plan is realisable? I think so. I think given their recent track record is very strong, uh, management have the benefit of the doubt, uh, even if they do make some missteps along the way. The German market is a notoriously difficult one for Ryanair, and it's one where they have shied away from putting jets in previously because they were able to get better returns elsewhere. So it is an ambitious goal. There is a very large market, but it is a market that has uh, worked very well with some other local low-cost carriers in addition to uh, the, the major flag carrier there, Lufthansa. Uh, but for them, it's a market big enough and worth worth while going for. Is there any evidence that the German traveller or the German consumer 
would be more likely to be swayed by the new Ryanair image than they would have been convinced by the old Ryanair. But image. I, I think that's a key. I think that's a key point because Ryanair historically would likely have uh, got on the wrong side of the German consumer. Um, they like efficient travel, not a lot of extra charges for you know for getting to print off a boarding pass. I think now Ryanair going forward, taking adopting a friendlier approach, could go down very well with uh, German passengers that have gotten more and more used to low cost travel over the last couple of years. To go back to Aer Lingus, what would be the benefit financially for Ryanair were to sell the Aer Lingus shares and what would it do with that money? I think, well, you know, they own just under 30% of Aer Lingus and, and the price, uh, the market value of the company is about $1.4 so they get 30% of that. For them, it's not a huge amount of money for them. Uh, they have spent uh, $500 million on a, on, a, on a dividend this year and they also are doing a $400 million uh, euro uh, share buyback that will finish in August. And so Michael O'Leary famously said uh, dividends would be paid only over his dead body at exactly. a particular point. They, they've changed their mind on that someone. Uh, effectively, Ryanair just generates an enormous amount of cash and for them, an extra 300 million isn't a huge amount of money but it is something that w- uh, would increase the likelihood of a, of a further share buyback uh, scheme over the next you know 6 to 12 months and am i right in saying that the uh, investment in erlingus shares that very sudden intervention at the moment of the flotation that has already been written down by Ryanair isn't that true yeah every year they took a mark to market valuation on that so as the share price dwindled in, in the first couple of years of that investment they wrote down the value so this will you know be taken quite well and there will be a, a nominal markup on the accounts as a result there is another story of course which goes around uh, Ryanair and that's the story of Michael O'Leary and uh, there it's a story which comes up now and then in terms of what exactly is going on in terms of succession. Michael O'Leary is so closely tied with the the advance of the company, uh, he's still there and there's no sign of him going, Barry. Yeah, in fact, for for the the first time ever, he took a a five-year contract as opposed to a a rolling 12-month contract, which is something that he he often boasted about in the past. You know, I'm only here for the next 12 months, or I'm only here as long as I'm delivering, but that changed and the board talked him into taking a five-year contract last year. And, and I think that starts this year, so he's effectively there until 2020. So the, the, the succession question has been parked for the moment. Um, and, you know, I, I have to say that, that this is not something that, that I would even feel half qualified to get into. In my own mind, I find it very difficult to separate Ryanair and Michael O'Leary, and I've been writing on them on, about them on and off for kind of 15, 18 years, whatever it is. I'm sure there are very viable candidates. There are definitely people, Kenny Jacobs, uh, David O'Brien, Neil Soran, who are new appointees, um, who are on the, the layer immediately below Michael O'Leary, if you like, who are all displaying very different capabilities and very different talents. And I'm sure kind of any or all of them would, would like the top job if and when it became available and they're still around. As to who would actually get it, that's a whole other ballgame. But it's five years away at this point, it looks like, David. Yeah, I think, I think the, as Barry just mentioned, there was a changing of the guard over the past 18 months. You had the CFO and the COO stepping down. That's right. Uh, either of those could have potentially taken over from Michael had he decided to step and down. And I think, indeed, they had the, they held the formal title of deputy of co-deputy chief executive. They did. They had very nice titles that would have been indicative of stepping one, one more level up to the top job. But I think... Um, uh, to be quite honest, Michael is just enjoying it too much to, to step down and they're going through a, a massive growth phase at which he has obviously been an integral part of and 
the new layer of management just below him now will likely take that five years to mature into their roles and actually be capable of, of taking that step up when the time uh, comes. But I think for the moment, uh, Ryanair is absolutely synonymous with Michael O'Leary. It is very difficult to separate the two. Um, so I think even if he was to step down as CEO, I would be very surprised if he would not take a board directorship role because I think Michael O'Leary without Ryanair is, is something... Uh, not likely to be seen for a long, long time. And uh, he, of course, retains the uh, the confidence of the market. Absolutely. Uh, again, airlines are historically uh, very turbulent in terms of um, how they react to economic cycles, their profitability profile. But Michael Leary has demonstrated time and again that he has been able to consistently grow faster than any other European airline, both in terms of passengers flown and also in terms of profits, uh, without the sharp retrenchments that some of its peers have, have uh, faced. So for him, he's got a very strong record at the moment behind him and provided that those profits continue to increase the market will fully support him. So he's going to go on and on and on and it's also the case to go back to uh, the Aer Lingus transaction that uh, Willie Walsh has been in IAG for quite some time now and there's no sign there's no sign of him giving up either. No, if, if you look at what IAG have achieved, they've taken on several different airlines, they've integrated them extremely well, turned around Iberia completely while British Airways is doing well uh, at the moment. So for them, post the integration of Aer Lingus, should the deal go through, he's really demonstrated that he can run several different airlines all under one umbrella group and they all benefit. And that is why IAG is the size that it is and it's you know bigger than any of the other European carriers. And Barry O'Halloran, it is the case also that Willie Walsh demonstrated quite a fluid capacity to to navigate the the the, the political hurdles that were before him when it, when this approach for Aer Lingus was first uh, came on the blocks. Yeah, he he certainly did. Now, obviously, knowing the ground here was um, was a big advantage to him. But you know, he's been playing the politics across the water as well, and um, I think that kind of coming as an outsider to take over the jewel in the crown that was British Airways when he did um, he's kind of won over the he's won over the establishment across the water uh, through a combination of basically first of all demonstrating that he's a very capable guy but you know he's got an element of charm to him and as well and I think that's kind of helped him along the way and I certainly think that there was probably a, I'm sure that those talents were put to pretty good use when he was chatting to our politicians and senior civil servants in the smoky back rooms over the last couple of weeks and months the smoke-free back rooms. The sorry, smoke-free <laughs> back rooms. <laughs> well, Barry O'Hanlon, thank you very much indeed. And David Holohan, thank you very much. It's certainly been a very, very interesting time in Irish aviation. You've been listening to the Irish Times Business Podcast. Tune in again next time. My name is Arthur Beasley. Thank you.